Hello and welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast brought to you with the support of Medical Mutual. Hi, I'm Dan Paletta, your host. Cleveland just wrapped up a major cultural event with the Cleveland International Film Festival coming to a close. This year's festival, like last year's, was a virtual one because of COVID restrictions. So to find out how things went for this year, and as well as what you might expect for next year, we're joined by Mallory Martin. Mallory is the Artistic Director of the festival. Mallory, thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I noticed in looking into some other festivals that a lot of them seem to almost sort of stall. Should we have a virtual festival or should we have people? And it seemed like the Cleveland International Film Festival made the decision early. You did it last October. What was the thought process behind deciding right away that we're going to have a virtual festival in 2021? Well, I think um, in some ways we were lucky that we we learned early on um, back with our 44th festival in the spring of 2020 that it's very difficult to plan for an in-person festival and then have to cancel it last minute, especially financially. So we knew that we would not be in the position to be able to do that again as an organization. So we really agonized all summer on what to do. We literally were planning two festivals at once all summer. Um, one that would be hybrid and one that would be completely online. And, and we watched a bunch of fall festivals to see what they were going to do. And and we, we didn't have sort of the driving capacity that some of the other festivals had, which is what they were seeming to go to. And when, when we saw the trends for what scientists were predicting in the fall and knowing that the winter was likely going to be pretty rough um, for our country, especially, we, we pretty much had to make that call at that point um, early on. And I think we did the, we made the right call for sure. You know, it's good that we're getting closer to people being able to go to in-person events again. But for us, it just would have been too much of a risk to do that to our audience this year, I think. So last year, CIFF had to do this on the fly. Now you had a year of experience under your belt. What were some of the things you learned from doing it in 2020 that made it perhaps a bit easier in 2021? Well, in 2020, we really only had time to put the films online. We didn't have time to do to make it into a festival event virtually in any way. We couldn't do virtual Q&As, um, anything like that. So that was what we spent this last year really studying at other festivals and, and seeing what to, what to do and what kind of virtual events we could pull off. And that was sort of the, the biggest learning lesson. But I think also, um, you know, the size of the program, um, you don't need 500 films to watch in a week in a virtual capacity. Um, so that was something that, that we learned from too. And, and we just took as much feedback as we could from our colleagues and, and what, what people were looking for in a virtual festival. So that helped. This is The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. More of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a word from our partner, Medical Mutual. So as much as we'd all like to be together for a, a festival, was there some silver linings that you took away that doing it virtually maybe gave you some different opportunities? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we learned that even last spring um, that we started getting some audience members that we never had at the in-person festival before for for various reasons, whether people just couldn't come to an in-person event or people who didn't want to come downtown, um, lots of things like that. And especially at that time when everyone's schedules were crazy, everyone was still working, they were trying to teach their kids at home. I mean, I, I thankfully was really happy that we could give them, give a lot of our audience an escape at that time. But, um, and I think now, even just talking to some of our audience members, it's such a, you know, it's sort of, a fine line, like everybody loves the convenience of being able to watch whatever they could whenever they had time. 
And I think a lot of people watched a lot more films in the virtual environment, but everybody misses the in-person event. I mean, you can't re as much as, as hard as we try, we can't recreate that. Um, I just say there's probably so no I, way to get that magic that of everybody being in the theater together. Yeah, there just isn't. And I think, um, I think everyone will, will want that as soon as we can have that again on a large scale. So, so for us now, it's really about trying to not only plan our move to Playhouse Square finally, which we're so excited about, but also what kind of hybrid model makes sense for us moving forward. You mentioned the in-person discussions and, and the Q&As and the filmmakers who would have panel discussions. You were able to do that this year. In some respects, was it easier because you didn't have to bring people to Cleveland? Um, uh, yes and no. I think, um, you know, there's a whole level of the, the hospitality part that obviously we, we didn't necessarily have to pull off in terms of flying people in, finding hotel rooms for them. But as you know, I mean, technology is not fun all the time. <laughs> and one conversation can turn into, you know, 20 steps in order to plan that between time zones and different kinds of technology and then how to get it out to your platforms after that. It's a lot of work. I mean, all of us at the festival this year said like we've never worked harder at a festival than we did this year. With the issue of technology, certainly people are going to log on and try to watch films and inevitably something's going to go wrong. Do you have troubleshooters that are able to help people who say, I can't connect? Well, this year we did. Um, this year we had a pretty large team of, I think, almost like 20 some people um, that were scheduled uh, almost around the clock during the festival uh, to help patrons get set up. You know, it's always harder at the beginning. Um, once people got set up, for the most part, they were fine. But but compared to last year, <laughs> when we pivoted to, to online version in, in three weeks, it was just the full-time staff that turned into Geek Squad. So we were like on Zoom together for like 24-7, just trying to figure out all the kinks. And the thing to remember is that even for us who have done this two times now, this technology that we use is only a year old. So there's a lot of things to work through with that film when you're actually holding the event as you're working through it. It's it's tough, but we are so grateful to our audience for bearing through it with us and, and sticking around and supporting us because I get it. It can be frustrating sometimes, but at least we're lucky to work in an art form that can move online, you know, and I, I think we're really grateful for that. And what would we have done? You know, we wouldn't have had movies for the last two years if we couldn't do that. One of the major fundraising elements of the festival is the opening night gala, which you weren't able to have last year or this year. What did you do to replace that kind of revenue? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, it took us a long time to figure out membership for this year and what really made sense. I mean, last year, we just basically moved our lowest level of membership over into the, the pass, the virtual pass. Um, and we relied a lot on people donating their passes and things last year, which was so great and really helped us through a really hard financial time. Um, so this year we really tried to weigh out like how much are you getting um, with an all access pass to the festival and it's a lot. Um, so we, we were able to raise membership prices this year, um, unique to this year, because when we go back to in person at Playhouse Square, we'll have to restructure our whole membership again. So that helped, like I said, donations have really helped us get through. And then, you know, in some ways, throwing a virtual festival is less um, of a financial risk uh, than, an, than you know, having to fly everybody in, like we said. Um, so that, that did help. But 
but the revenue is definitely lower in a virtual festival for sure. Is it more difficult to obtain corporate support for a virtual festival? Uh, I think all around uh, gaining financial support, it has been more difficult because in some ways you think you might not have as many, um, you know, eyes on the advertising, but our development team did awesome this year. And we actually, um, you know, we set our, all of our goals lower for this year, trying to be more realistic, but we met a lot of the goals. Um, so they certainly were lower than our in-person event, but um, we met a lot of our fundraising goals this year, which is great. Um, and, and we're trying to figure that out too, because there's pros and cons to both platforms. And I think in a virtual environment, you have a lot of uh, other opportunities in terms of all of our YouTube videos that are Q and A's, which are sponsored by PNC, for example, those can be viewed forevermore, you know, that, that goes past the festival. So we're learning a lot about those kind of things. And we're definitely going to take that into consideration moving forward. I'm sure you were excited with the hope of moving to Playhouse Square, not only for the excitement of being there, but I think it might have opened up uh, more economic opportunities for people to do things and go to restaurants. Any thought about what that might mean next year? Yeah, I mean, we're so excited about that. I mean, that was part part of what we loved being at Tower City was it wasn't just a, cin- a cineplex. You know, you had restaurants there, you had shops, um, hotels were connected right to it, and nothing like that. We'll never have a chance at something that <laughs> inclusive again. I don't know if that even existed in the world anywhere anymore. But now moving to Playhouse Square with the restaurants there and, and just such a great theater district and arts district too, um, that I'm so excited about. And I think like we're, we're just going to have to completely retrain our brains going and, and reinvent the festival for now a third year in a, in a row, moving back to in person and, and, and really making it um, more of an event and you know many events throughout the time that we're there. This is the landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast brought to you with the support of Medical Mutual. I'm Dan Paletta. We're chattering with Mallory Martin. She is the artistic director of the Cleveland National Film Festival. So this was your first year as an artistic director. Nice way to jump in, Mallory. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you've been with the festival since 2010. A little about you. How did your interest in film start? Well, I went to film school at Ohio University. Um Originally, and even before that, I, I did some work with video production and, and always wanted to, you know, make movies at that time. But when I was in school, I sort of quickly realized that um, I didn't like making movies as much as I liked um, studying them and writing about them. Um, and even though the, I worked for a festival at OU, at no point in my college career did anybody say you could work for a film festival as a career. Like that was never a thing. Um, I always thought it was, you know, volunteer based or something, but, and then, um, you know, I graduated during the recession in 2008. So I watched a bunch of my friends move out to California and have to move right back because they couldn't get jobs. Um, and it was rough for a while there, but, and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to, you know, follow my, my degree and, and my passion, but I got synced up luckily, um, with one of Patrick Shepard, our associate director's friends, um, who connected me to, to Patrick pretty much over a beer at a bar. <laughs> and, and I, at that point, you know, I just, I just wanted to get my foot in the door. So I was basically interning. Um, and what was a couple days a week working led into 10 years later, um, working as their artistic director, I guess. You were the director of programming and projection. What that job entailed? Was, were you traveling to festivals to screen films? Is that how you did it? Yeah. So, um, so I was, programming feature films um, in partnership with our other artistic director at the time. 
Um, it was just the two of us programming features. So I would travel to other festivals um, for sure and, and watch films. And then I also oversaw our whole projection booth, which you know was in a little different form this past year. Um, and I oversaw our VR um, exhibition that we did every year too. And so this year, um, you know, I programmed the features by myself uh, in this year, which will change in the future. We definitely hope to hire more programmers. Um, and yeah, what, we're going to have to figure out the whole projection system at Playhouse Square when we move there too. That'll be a fun thing to figure out. How many films in a regular year would you see? Did you see more this year or less as you made your decisions for the festival? Yeah, so I would normally see an average of 500 films, uh, 500 feature films um, before I was artistic director. And I would normally travel to about up to 10 other festivals uh, throughout the year. And that was sort of one of the uh, silver linings to the to the virtual festival landscape, I would say, which is um, I was able to go to, I think it ended up being 27 other virtual festivals, all from my home. <laughs> and because of that, I was able to watch a lot more. So I watched over 700 feature films this last year. Have Just you noticed any changes in what film goers are looking for from a festival? You know... In general, no. I mean, I feel like our audience has grown to love our program so much that I still tried to keep it this year as familiar seeming as possible and looking for some of the same competitions and some of the same programs. Um, but I do think like what we've noticed over the years, whatever's been going on in history, that when when times are hard, festival goers are looking for a little bit more escape, I would say, or at least um, you know, they need to laugh a little bit. So that was something that, that we tried to do this year too, is, is to bring more family films in for sure. Um, and to bring a couple things that were a little bit lighter, but we also, you know, our, our festival, our audience is so crazy about documentaries. I mean, we're about 50, 50, uh, narratives and docs and we're not even a documentary festival per se. So, so that's something we've listened to for a long time. And like every year our audience awards are go to documentaries almost consistently. So, and this is, that was the case again with this year. So I'm definitely listening to that for sure. <laughs> so what is the role of the film festival today? I mean, it's a world where people are now used to accessing films and streaming them from home. Do you have to program differently knowing that that's the case? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And it was a topic that came up a lot this last couple of weeks with filmmakers in particular. I mean, that was a big thing that we weren't able to do in the virtual festival last year, which was to engage with filmmakers. And without them, we don't have a festival industry. So that was huge for me this year and something we're going to focus a lot on going forward. And so some of the topics I brought up um, to talk with them, is just like, what do you guys need from festivals at this point? Um, to move forward because it's really about building that relationship between the two. Um, and so I think that especially as we move into a heavier time of streaming and films going to VOD very quickly, festivals have more importance um, just to be that um, to be that curation in a lot, I don't want to call it noise, but I mean when you have that much to choose from, it can get really overwhelming and you can get really frustrated. I mean, same thing. Like I just turned on Netflix for the first time in months the other day. And I was like, oh, why? somebody just tell me what to watch. <laughs> so I think that that is, I think that's the role of festivals in a lot of way is curation. And I think for filmmakers, it 
it will continue to be a place where independent cinema can get audience. Because otherwise, how do you get through all that noise? This year's festival had something called the Groundbreaker Program, which actually grew out of the 2020 festival. What was it about? So the program that it grew out of was our um, Focus 2020 Racial Equity Program, which we started um, last year and unfortunately weren't able to do in person, but we were still able to feature the films. And then we actually brought them back virtually in the fall in partnership with the Annisfield Wolf Book Awards, um, which is great. But we really wanted to reframe that in light of this last year in our country's history and what's been going on. And we, we thought a lot about it and we had a lot of discussions. And for me, what is really important is, you know, representation matters in front of the camera for sure, but it really matters behind the camera. And so a lot of these um, programs that we've been focusing on, both the Groundbreaker program, which is specifically for BIPOC creatives and films about BIPOC topics. Uh, we, we carry that over into our Dreamcatcher program too, which is for the LGBTQ plus community. And we started realizing how important it is to not only have films with these topics, but to make sure that the people making them are from those communities as well. And so that's that's really what it built out to. So so the Groundbreaker program was full of, I think there were like seven feature films and a few, fe- a few short films in the program, um, but we chose to give the first award uh, to a director named Ashley O'Shea, who direct, directed a documentary called Unapologetic, which is just amazing. And she her, her work is really devoted to supporting marginalized creatives. Um, and so that was that was a huge thing for us this year and for sure something we want to continue in the future. This year at the festival, you screened 166 feature films and I think it was 182 documentaries. What were some of the more popular offerings this year? Well, 117 feature films, actually. 117, okay. <laughs> I don't think I would have been able to make it. Um, 117 features, though, uh, this year. So, um, well, we just announced, we, so a big switch from this year, too, uh, that people probably noticed is that we held our closing award ceremony and our closing night film earlier. So we did that on a Saturday night because we figured Tuesday night wasn't didn't really scream closing night. Um, plus, this time it gave us an opportunity to let people still watch the award winners for three extra days of the festivals, which we've never done in the past. I mean, we've always gotten questions immediately after our closing awards ceremony in the past to say, where can I see these films that I missed? Um, so like I said, it, it was really heavy on documentaries again. Our, our audience award winner was a documentary called Not Going Quietly, which is just beautiful. And I could not be happier that this won our audience award. Um, it's directed by Nicholas Bruckman, but it's about... Um, a man named Adi Barkin, who has been an activist for a very long time, specifically fighting for healthcare reform. And a few years ago, he was diagnosed with ALS, and he's still fighting that fight. And it's, you know, I feel like that is the epitome of an audience award winner at our festival, is just raising up those kind of heroes. So that was really popular. Um, another one that wasn't, didn't, um, wasn't on the award winner list this year, but is by far one of the most, um, watched is a documentary called Lily Topples the World that was at South by Southwest too and it's about a woman who is a domino artist and starts her own domino company which is pretty cool so yeah a lot of a lot of documentaries were popular this year and then surprisingly in this virtual landscape a lot of the the after hours late night horror films were really popular which we thought was was kind of funny. So uh, I don't know if that's a growing trend or what, or just what people are used to watching at home in the dark together. But (laughs) 
Do you have any feeling, do you think next year at the 2022 festival, we'll be seeing a lot of COVID-related films? It's a really good question. So I we had one in the festival this year called, it was a documentary called In the Same Breath, uh, which is amazing. It'll be on HBO later this year. Um, I've seen three docs about what's happened in the last year. Specifically, most of them have been from um, for updates out of Wuhan. And I think that will definitely increase over the next year. And I think it'll start to be more local stories or more just stories like about what happened in the United States, for example. Um, and so far, like, it's kind of run the gamut between interviewing healthcare workers who have been on the front lines to being critical of governments and, and how they handled it. So I think that'll continue. And then on the flip side of that, we weirdly had a couple films this year that were sort of Armageddon-like. Um, one in particular was called The Pink Cloud that premiered at Sundance, which was written and filmed before COVID even showed up. That was all about life in quarantine. It was like a sci-fi film about this couple who were stuck in quarantine, which was like so fitting. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. So I think, yeah, I think we'll see a lot more of that. And I think, you know, we're, I, I'm curious to see if I start seeing films next year with people wearing masks out in public, um, if that's going to be a thing or not too. But yeah, I think that's around the corner for sure. So let's hope we are all in Playhouse Square next year. Obviously, do you, will you continue to have a virtual component in addition to in-person films, do you think, next year? Or do you think we'll just be able to go back to all in-person? It's a really good question. I mean, I'll be fully transparent and say that we have no idea yet. Um, you know, we really, we, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about it this last year. And in every respect, we hope to continue as a hybrid festival and offer some sort of virtual component. Like I said, for example, even the audience members that we gained who weren't able to do in-person events, we don't want to lose that and we don't want them to lose the festival experience. So so I definitely think we'll have some sort of virtual component in the, in the future. I think for all festivals right now are, are really trying to navigate this new platform and, and also keep in mind that we're all nonprofits with small budgets and small staff. <laughs> And if you're doing a hybrid model, you're essentially running two festivals at once. Um, and so that's something that we really need to think through, especially in a huge year for us, because we, in moving to Playhouse Square, we need to get that right. You know, there's a lot to work through with that, too. And so I think for us, you know, we're going to have a little tiny bit of rest because we've just been going nonstop for two years now. But we need to hit the ground running and, and really figure out what's going to make the most sense for our audience um, in both worlds. But I, I hope that that turns into a hybrid model for us, for sure. Well, I think we're all looking forward to seeing, hopefully, together in Playhouse Square, some great films next year. Congratulations on this year's festival, Mallory. I know it's a lot of work. You guys did a wonderful job. Thank you so much. Thanks. Mallory Martin's been our guest. Mallory is the Artistic Director of the Cleveland International Film Festival, which just wrapped up here a few days ago. We want to thank Mallory for joining us and thank you as well for joining us for The Landscape. It's a Cranes Cleveland podcast brought to you with support of Medical Mutual. Make sure to join us Tuesday, April 27th. That's next Tuesday. We'll speak with Cranes Cleveland reporter Kevin Kleps. He'll get us up to speed on the NFL draft, which is being held in Cleveland April 29th through May 1st. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. And thanks as well to our producer, Kobe Smith. Look forward to talking to you soon.